I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Welcome to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC sports. Brought to you by JohnnyTShirt.com, the go-to provider for all your Tar Heel gear. I'm your host, Tommy Ashley. This is the Inside Carolina podcast, sponsored by JohnnyTShirt.com and Johnny T-Shirt on Franklin Street. This one's on the beat, recording Wednesday night. Got the best beat writing team in the land. Greg Barnes, Ross Martin, and Gregory Hall with me. Last week and in, in a couple of weeks ago, we talked about North Carolina's new assistant football coach hires, and we did not have Greg Barnes with us. So I wanted to take time on this first segment before we get into a heavy dose of basketball to get Greg Barnes's opinion on Mac Brown's most recent hires and Greg by all intent and purposes and especially Buck Sanders and the football crew they think these hires um, were certainly top level for Mac Brown Lily and DeWitt give us your take on on them what you've learned about them since they've been hired and your thoughts on Mac Brown being able to secure these two guys well, I think the fact that that North Carolina lost Tim Brewster is a huge blow. Uh, just you know, he, he's such a great recruiter and had a good relationship with Mac for so long. Uh, and so when you lose him, that that's really a void that's I don't want to say impossible to fill, but that's that's a very tough challenge. And I think John Lilly is a guy that uh, you know it remains to be seen if he can come close to filling that void. But he's he's an adequate replacement. And what I really liked about Lily is, I mean, if you look at his track record, I mean, he, he's coached with uh, Bobby Bowden for a number of years and, and Mark Richt uh, down at Georgia for a number of years. So he's been around some of the best coaches out there, really the modern era. Uh, and so he, he understands what it takes. He understands uh, how things work. I found it very interesting. You know, some of the, some of the back channel stuff we got on Brewster's that uh, he did not like how, tight ends were necessarily being utilized and that was part of the issue. Lily very much is, <laughs> you know, whatever it takes for us to win. I don't care how many passes my guys get. Uh, so it was a very, uh, very unique and very team oriented approach. Uh, not necessarily, you know, a guy promoting for his own position group, but more for the team in general. So uh, I found that, I found that interesting, but a good personality seems to be, because of his ties, you know, him and him and Ross apparently go way back with their uh, their uh, friendly avenue days. But that that's that's a uh, that that uh, local touch that he brings. I think it's going to be very beneficial. And then you know Javon DeWitt, that guy uh, really kind of blew me out of the water. He he was so impressive in talking with him, and I don't take this the wrong way. Uh, any, any coaches out there, but he did not sound like a football coach. I mean, he sounded like a guy that you know, uh, should be developing stuff for NASA, and I guess he probably could have, but he's just so articulate, so sharp, 
Uh, and the fact that you know, he's got a, a new perspective after dealing with uh, cancer the way that he did, you know, he lost a hundred pounds and uh, injured just, just really hell uh, kind of battling back from that. And I, I can't say enough about how much he impressed me. And uh, I haven't said that very often with, with coaches you know, in my tenure doing this, but, but he's one of the few that actually has kind of uh, piqued my interest and, 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 Surprised me a bit. So I think he's going to be a great addition for a variety of reasons. Uh, but you know, he, he understands what it takes on special teams. And I think that is an area where North Carolina has to get significantly better. You know, as Mac Brown said, uh, you know, when you're kind of a middle of the pack team like North Carolina uh, is uh, currently, you one way you separate yourself is that you, you're very good on special teams. North Carolina was not very good last year on special teams. They were okay. And so I think that's that's an area where uh, Javon can do a good job and, and maybe give North Carolina uh, a head up on some teams next year. Greg, let me ask you something. You mentioned it, and I certainly noticed it listening to especially John Lilly's press conference last week is sort of the, I don't really want to say selflessness, but the I guess the selflessness of a position coach. You mentioned that. He said, like you said, he, he didn't care what his guys get as long as the team wins. Um, you've covered you know, Carolina for a long time. You've uh, you know been on the college football landscape for a long time in football in general. There's not too many assistant coaches that I've ever heard say that. Now, they may think it, um, and, and they may even say it on occasion, but practicing it is a whole other matter as far as not caring about what their specific position gets. Um, your deeper thoughts on that comment. Now, I don't, I didn't take it as, or maybe it could have been, and I said it last week, maybe it could have been sort of a shot at a at the former coach, but um, I just found it interesting that he seemed to be beyond a level of needing that validation for his position guys to, you know, get all the glory. Yeah, and I think that's the way to, to say it, Tom, is the validation aspect. I mean, this is a guy who's only 51. Um, and so it's not like he's at the tail end of his career necessarily. And, you know, how Mac always says, ah, this is my last stop. I'm not coaching after this. I'm going to do things and say things exactly how I want to say them. And if it costs me the job, so be it. I'm going to be me. But Lily's really not in that position. But yet, because I think of his track record, because he's coached with Rick and Bobby Bowden and, and now Mike Brown, uh, he understands there's, there's more to it than just uh, promoting yourself. And I'll give you the great example of John Blake. Uh, people love him. People hate him. Uh, whatever you want to say. That guy was working an angle every single time he talked to you. I mean, numerous times I talked with Blake just for like a defensive line story. And I'd be like, okay, so depth chart wise, who are we looking at here? He's like, well, you know, we're really working on recruiting and I want to make sure that I get my name out there. So I got to be very careful with how I talk to you about these things because it can reflect poorly on me uh, in the press. And I'm like, oh, I mean, this complete politics. And then you do get guys like Lily who are like, you know what? Whatever helps the team win, let's, let's do it. Um, and not that Blake was, you know, trying to sabotage the team winning. He wanted the team to win for, for personal reasons as well. Uh, but it was kind of a refreshing take. Uh, and I think, you know, a lot of coaches are like that way. I mean, you know, I think Gunnar Brewer is a good example of a guy who um, 
he got a lot of credit for his his coach for the guys that he'd coached, but he never really struck me as a guy that was uh, you know, self promoting at all. You know, he really wanted the best for for the team and those kind of things. So there's a lot of coaches like that, uh, but for Lily to kind of put it out there the way that he did, especially in light of how you know, Brewster's situation came down, and that was interesting. Ross, late night commit. I actually missed watching the Carolina Wake Forest game because I was at a high school basketball game down in Fayetteville. Get home, check some social media, and I see Keyshawn Silver has committed to Carolina. Uh, I feel like that's a big deal, obviously a very big deal, um, especially in the light of Greg talking about Brewster's recruiting ability and he being down in Florida. Uh, your take on Silver's commitment and how that sort of gets the ball rolling after the dead period for Mac Brown. Yeah, I mean, huge in-state guy who had a a complete national list of schools he was interested in. I think it's, he reached the top seven on Saturday. These kids are crazy. He released the top seven and commit, you know, three days later. Uh, but Alabama, Auburn, LSU. I mean, he was recruited Georgia, Florida State, Florida, offered by every school, um, you know, in the country. And uh, he was had some visits set up too, but. He was in Chapel Hill on Tuesday night for the Wake Forest game. Took a picture with Roy Williams. Took a picture with Phil Ford, who's from Rocky Mount, where he's from. And Mac Brown. I saw Mac Brown with him at halftime of the Wake Forest game, and, and kind of walking around where they sit. And uh, yeah, he pulled the trigger late night. We were writing articles was next to Greg and Ben. No, I was next to Greg, and Ben messaged me about it, and we got it up uh, while while Don Callahan was was counting sheep. We were, we were grinding <laughs> that, that story out. But, um, yeah, it keeps the momentum going. And, um, yeah, that story was, was not written by Don, but it had a Don byline. Um, huge. I mean, a guy that could have gone anywhere and decided to stay in state, and that's just another kind of statement um, get for the Tar Heels who are, who are loading up on the top talent in state. They have f- six players in state and five are in the top 15 and five four-stars. So it kind of kicks off, which should be a pretty good march. We're hearing rumors of some other in-state players as well who are close to committing. That made me laugh. Don uh, <laughs> counting sheep in the man tower. That's right. Uh, <laughs> it, it, uh, it was a weird time to commit. I mean, it was 1130 at night on a school night. Yeah, get it done. Uh, what's interesting is I was watching Clayton play Westover, and Silver's Silver would have been playing in that game last night had his team beat Westover. Gotcha. earlier in the week so um it was small world but yeah got it done carolina gets a huge commitment um you know uh, matt brown's got it rolling if they manage to win eight nine ten ball games this year who knows what happens on the trail but it's certainly rolling deep now with north carolina kids especially i'm gonna take a quick break talk about johnny t-shirt.com and johnny t-shirt on franklin street certainly your best place and our favorite place for you to get your Carolina gear. They're sponsors of this podcast. They're sponsors of Inside Carolina. And they're certainly great friends of Carolina fans everywhere. You can get anything you want online at johnnytshirt.com. They're constantly having sales, constantly having great deals and great offers on anything related, basketball-related, baseball, football-related. Come in town on spring game on April 18th. Come see them at Johnny T-Shirt on Franklin Street or anytime 24-7 on johnnytshirt.com. And if you're an Inside Carolina Premium subscriber, and if you want to see those Ross Martin written Don Callahan byline recruiting articles, 
you got to be a premium subscriber. And if you are, you get 10% off that Johnny T-shirt order in store and online. Do it. Do it today. Visit Johnny T-shirt and johnnytshirt.com. I'm going to take another short break. Pay the bills, come back. We're going to talk Carolina basketball. The Hills on a bit of a roll heading into Duke on Saturday. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. And we're back. Let me bring in Gregory Hall. Uh, he's the intern, but we talked <laughs> to him too. So uh, Gregory, Carolina gets another win. So they're on a roll a little bit. I, we were debating off air about uh, all ACC teams, and we'll get into that amongst ourselves a little bit later. But a couple things that stood out for me for that Wake Forest game, which I went back and watched. Cole Anthony continues to evolve into the point guard everybody thought he would be when he committed to Carolina. And Garrison Brooks has just been straight Sean May type beast mode the last few weeks. You know, is there a chance that this team could get hot here going into Duke on Saturday and going into Greensboro next week? I, I mean, I think there definitely is a chance, but I mean, it's, it's highly unlikely, especially if they don't get the the first round by. Uh, but I think it really relies on Cole being as efficient as he's been and being the facilitator that Roy has wanted him to be uh, since day one. I mean, seven assists, one turnover last night is, I mean, excellent. You can't really put it any other way. And one thing that kind of stood out to me is, Late late in the game when uh, Wake Forest just looked like they couldn't miss from three, and every single person in the Dean Smith Center was like, uh-oh, here we go again. A UNC empty possession followed by a splash three from Wake. Cole's at the top of the key. He kind of shoot off a screen, I was, and I was uh, is right there in the risers and just was like, okay, here we go. He's going to go ISO. He's going to drive it, uh, and he's going he's gonna to turn it over. Um, which is what he's done many times in the past, uh, but he didn't. He drove. Uh, he found a guy open down low for a nice pass, and UNC didn't have an empty possession. Um, and then he took one out of the old Andrew Playtech book with the up and under. That was a, everyone was freaking out about. Oh, Cole, awesome shot! Playtech did it first against Duke, just in case anyone forgot there. Uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, I, there obviously is a chance. I mean, Garrison three straight 25 point games first time since Tyler Hansbro did it in 2008. I think that's just the kind of year Garrison has had. I mean, he's been the most reliable scorer and now these past three games, he's going up strong. He's finishing through contact. He's getting and ones like they're nothing. Um, he gets hit and the ball, he's still going in where the beginning of the year and earlier in the season, 
uh, he would get fouled and go to the line shooting too, and ball would even be close to going in. But now he's kind of taking it upon himself to be strong and finish through. So it really goes through those two guys, and they just need to keep doing what they're doing. Let's uh, let bring Greg and Ross in. Before we preview Duke, and I want to look ahead to Duke on Saturday a little bit, Ross, I'll, I'll do you first, and then Greg, think about it while Ross is talking. Uh, let's talk about all ACC teams. And when a team's 13 and 17 currently, you know, dead last in the conference, uh, where do Cole Anthony and Garrison Brooks deserve to be on any all ACC teams? Because on if Carolina was third in the ACC, I think both these guys or first teamer, one of them's a first teamer, and then Brooks would probably be either the fifth guy or the sixth guy. So Ross, given the season Carolina's had, where do these guys fall in any kind of postseason awards, all ACC teams, in your opinion? Yeah, I think you're spot on with kind of the fifth, sixth spot on the first team for Garrison. I think he's deserving of first team, but the results of UNC's season may push him to second team all ACC. Um, I mean, he's he's top five in scoring and rebounding, um, and he's played almost every every game but one. So I think right there, I mean, the last guy on the first team or the first guy on the second team is where you should expect him. Cole's, Cole's different. You know, he missed a lot of ACC games. Um, 11 total, I think maybe 10 ACC games, 10 or 9 or 10 ACC games. So that definitely hurts him. But when he's in, he's scoring and he's, he's averaging 20 points now, I believe. So I could see him. I, mean, I don't even know if is he eligible. I know he's not eligible for NCAA stats. Greg would be better to ask for this. But I mean, I could see him making a third all ACC team, or uh, if not that, I think uh, definitely the freshman team. Um, and I think that's very deserving. Despite missing 11 games, I think he's one of the top five freshmen just by based on his production and really turning it on here to kind of add on to what um, Gregory said. I mean, he is and kind of what Greg wrote last night. I mean, he's becoming more of a complete point guard. He's not. He's facilitating the offense. The offense is clicking. They figure out a way to work the inside-outside game. His assist totals have gone up. He's scoring still. He's more efficient on his shots. So everything is clicking for him right here. A little too late, but um, him and Garrison playing at a very high level, and you're, you're seeing the exact team that we expected at the beginning of the season. Not not you know not a top 10 team in the nation, but I think certainly a, a top 25 team if everything had, had gone their way in terms of injuries and, um, and Cole's kind of immersion into the offense. Greg, your thoughts there. First, at what point – where's the breaking point? And and I sort of compare it to – and Carolina fans hate to see it, but I'm hearing people talk about Zion Williamson and Rookie of the Year in the NBA, okay, and he's played half the season. Um, not even that at this point. Um, where does Cole Anthony fall in any postseason awards? I mean, because when he's been out there, it's tough to argue against 20 – and he averages round up to six rebounds a game. I mean, as a freshman, um, but yeah, he did miss all that time. And then also on Garrison, you know that the the kid has played. He is on a Sean May type role from two thousand five. So where do those guys fall in your opinion, given the injuries, given Carolina's season? Yeah, Garrison. Um, I kind of agree with with Ross that he may end up getting screwed here. Uh, just because if if you look at what has kind of played out, I mean, you know, 
Elijah Hughes for Syracuse. He leads the league in scoring. And it is tough to find guys that lead the league in scoring that do not make first team. And he was really the guy I would say Garrison's most battling with, right? I mean, Vernon Carey's a lock. Uh, Jordan War is a, a lock. John Mooney's a lock. I know a lot of people, you're talking about Trey Jones being another guy there. Uh, Diakite, Virginia's up there in conversation. Uh, Vassell. Devin Vassell is a guy that's that's kind of in the mix there. I mean, his what he's done in conference plays has been phenomenal. Uh, his his metrics are through the roof. Uh, and then you got Garrison there as well. So it's it's tough knowing what he's what he's done for this team, thinking that he may not make it on the first team. But it's, I would I would venture a guess that he'll be a second team player. And then for Cole, I think what hurts Cole, yes, it's the it's the games that he missed. Uh, but really, until the last week or so, he's been a complete volume scorer. Yes, he's scoring a lot of points, but he's taking a lot of shots to do it. I mean, he's had some really bad games in terms of shooting, uh, and I think that that is what you know. In talking with people around the league over over the last couple of months, that's what keeps coming up. It's like, yeah, he's scoring, but he's taking a lot of bad shots and he's taking shots that aren't helping the team. And that's true. I mean, we've talked about on this podcast. Now he's showing kind of who we all thought he could possibly be. Uh, and you know, if he's healthy, maybe he reaches this point earlier. Uh, but just looking at Kempom stats, if you look at players in the ACC um, who you know, qualify you know, with at least 20% of possessions used, he's 17th in offensive rating. You know, behind Trent Forrest, behind Jose Alvarado at Georgia Tech, uh, Brandon Childers at Wake. So he's way down the list in terms of you know, offensive uh, production and efficiency. And I just don't know that there's going to be enough for him to overcome that. The other factor, too, a lot of people are saying, yeah, well, you know, if he plays great against Duke, yeah, but you have to understand how the ACC works. You know, Their goal is to get this out Monday morning at 9 a.m., which means we have to have our votes in by noon on Sunday. Uh, and the ballots open today, Wednesday. So what does that mean? That means a lot of the votes, maybe even a majority, are going to be cast before Saturday night. And people say, oh, well, people need to wait. Yes, yeah, one thing to say that, um, but when, when you're grinding, trying to get things knocked out Saturday night, and then you get home and go to sleep, uh, that's a challenge. And I know I've I've been up against that deadline before in the past. And so what a lot of people do is they'll make sure they put their votes in before those final games. So that one less opportunity for Cole could be detrimental. Um, and so I think he could sneak on to third team. It's going to be iffy. And then you've got uh, you know, clearly he's going to be on the, uh, the rookie team, but I think Vernon Karen, Vernon Carey has got the uh, rookie of the year locked up. Yeah. I don't think there's any doubt on that. Um, you know, it's going. It, this season for Carolina is going to be the "what if" season, and a lot of people are going to are going to look at it that way and wish, you know, and you know, all the different injuries or whatever. If this would have happened, if that would have happened, well, they've got one more game in the regular season, and um, you know, I, going to Cameron's always been interesting to me. And Ross, I'll come to you. You know, Carolina has. I'll never forget talking to Ed Cota years ago. Ed Coda said, man, it doesn't matter. It doesn't affect us at all. Um, 
you know, the noise, the closeness and all that. And if people have never been to a game in there, you don't understand how on top of you they are. But I've always said it's not really a, a scary environment. And Reynolds, back in the day, scary environment. I mean, you might get concussed by batteries or coins or whatever, but Cameron's just Maryland. loud. Maryland too, yeah. And and Maryland, you might get talked to like a dog wouldn't get talked to, uh, you know, on on a bad day. Uh, But Ross, this this Carolina team, you've been around them all year and for the past three years as well. Going into Cameron, I mean, they're playing well. Can this team, this team specifically, in their mindset now, hold up in an environment like they're going to see in Cameron on Saturday against a Duke team? that I don't think is very good, but this is the type of year that Duke always seems to make a run um, in the postseason at least when nobody else is that good. Um, so you're just overarching opinion on Saturday's game going into it. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I don't think his Duke team a- is as intimidating as past teams. Um, sometimes I get the feeling, you know, that the, the team's intimidated. I went into last year's game thinking that with Zion, R.J. Barrett, some other players, and then Zion went out, and it completely changed. And UNC won, they, and they won again um, in in Chapel Hill. And I think what what's mentally going going to benefit UNC is they've played this team, they they've gone toe toe with them. They had a double digit lead in Chapel Hill, so they know they can play with them, and they're completely healthy now, no serious injuries, um, and they're playing really well. So they have a lot of things I think mentally that gives them confidence heading to the game. You know, Duke has lost some games pretty bad, uh, Wake and NC State. But then they went back and kind of killed NC State and looked really good this week. Um, that Cassius Stanley guy is unbelievable. I mean, his, his leaping ability is incredible. Um, so, you know, they're hitting a little stride here too. But I, I just don't get a feeling that this, this Duke team is that good. Um, they lost to a bad Wake team. They lost to a, um, a mediocre NC State team, and every state team is pretty mediocre. But um, – so I don't think the the this is a, a beat your doors down type Duke team that is super intimidating. Um, I mean, there's certain players you just don't bat an eye at. Joey Baker, um, AOC, you know, Matthew Hurt hasn't done much that year. I think Cash. I think um, the freshman that we just mentioned, I mean, he's really good. But they got him in foul trouble last game too. So and Trey Jones is a really good point guard. So there we go. I mean, I don't. I think UNC has a chance. I think obviously the Dukes be favored, but um, I think they play with them. And they can prove. I think with Cole, I've said this before. Cole Anthony, with him, I give them a shot in any game. The way Garrison's playing too. I mean, he's a man amongst boys and is playing at a really high level. Gregory, uh, you got to follow up the shots that Ross took um, with some sort of in-depth analysis on Carolina and Duke. I mean, I, I think you know, I still haven't figured out, and I've watched it again. I still haven't figured out how in the world Duke managed to win in the Smith Center. Um, a couple of weeks ago. I mean, that that is one of those all-timer games. Uh, but can Carolina repeat that performance against Duke in Cameron? Uh, I think it'll be a much different game just because, I mean, Vernon Carey obviously fouling out there before Duke even made the run. Um, like when, when Vernon Carey fouled out, everyone was like, pretty much okay well then unc is just gonna go with it and then the exact opposite happened uh just because trey jones uh he, i mean he took over there's no other way to put it 
He scored. He did whatever he wanted to do. Um, and I think now that UNC, ha- I think that benefits UNC because they've seen what Trey Jones likes to do and what he can do to take over a game where it's not what he did last year when he's playing with Zion and RJ. And he didn't even do that last year. He had to do it this game just because of Vernon Carey going out. And so the, instead of pounding it down low, which is probably what they would have done uh, to get back in the game, they, they didn't. So I think Vernon Carey will be a much larger factor. Um, I mean, he finished six for 12 from the floor um, last time out. And I'm pretty sure uh, he was like six for seven at, at one point and missed his last five shots before fouling out. I do not think that'll be the case this time out. Um, I think he'll, it'll be him and Garrison going at it down low. Him and Armando, if Armando's back and ready to play. Um and based on the way Cole's playing, he needs, like we said, if he's there, he's, UNC has a shot, but he needs to get others involved because Trey Jones will be right up on Cole, basically kissing him on the cheek the entire game. Um, and Cole needs to understand that he can't drive by Trey Jones. He's one of the best defenders in the in the league, in the country, as far as on-ball defense. And so if UNC understands that, understands that Vernon Carrier will be a much larger factor, uh, then, yeah, of course they have a chance. And he, like like Ross said, anytime that Garrison is playing the way he's been playing uh, and Cole can kind of be that floor general, they've got a shot. Yeah, these are the type of games that I wish uh, they'd have some sort of rule that, you know, you, you can't foul out, but any foul over six was a technical or something. Because I always think foul trouble plays a huge role in Cameron, and it's not always against Carolina because Duke's had some issues as well. Uh, Greg, one thing Gregory said is Cole can't drive past Trey Jones, so maybe that can be some bulletin board material for Cole Anthony, but Duke has always had success against Carolina when guys not superstar names have had big games, whether it's Delaria um, or, you know, Alex O'Connell in the past has had games. I mean, they've always had some guy that you never would have expected made plays, made them, and they've beaten Carolina until the Smith Center game when Trey Jones made them all. So your your preview of Carolina and Duke, I mean, I think this is a game Carolina can win. I'm going to be interested to, to watch how Carolina, guys like Leaky Black and Playtech and Keeling um, – you know, how do they deal with, and, and Justin Pierce, how do they deal with the atmosphere and being able to play free and loose like we've seen so many other Carolina teams and Carolina players do when they go into Cameron? Yeah, I think the way that first game ended in Chapel Hill, uh, we tend to, <laughs> I think some people maybe just black it out, block it out. Uh, but that was the best game North Carolina had played all year long by a long stretch up until the final you know, two minutes of that regulation period. Uh, North Carolina shot 52% in that game, which the only other time they've topped that this year was against Miami when Miami didn't have its two best players. And that was a very easy game for, for anybody, especially for, for UNC that night. Um, and you mentioned some of the role players. I mean, Andrew Playtech that game had nine points, seven rebounds, five assists. Leaky Black, eight points, seven rebounds, nine assists. Uh, you, 
Keeling had 13 points on 5 of 17 shooting. Justin Pierce had 11 points on 5 of 9 shooting. The only thing North Carolina did wrong that night, other than the collapse, is they didn't make a lot of free throws. They shot very poorly from the free throw line. But that is as well as this team can play. Uh, and I, I, they still lost. They lost in epic fashion. But I think that can kind of give you a blueprint for what has to occur Saturday night. And it is going to be a much tougher ask to do that uh, at Cameron. The fact that Duke is kind of reeling right now a little bit. They've lost three of five. Haven't looked very good. They did handle business against NC State. But like Ross said, uh, you know, state of state. Um, and so I, I think there are avenues for North Carolina to potentially win. And, uh, you know, Shrell has done a good job kind of tracking this over the years. He's always hitting me up during games at Cameron. North Carolina has a weird uh, history of building double-digit leads. I mean, there's like a ton of them in recent years. And uh, some, of the time, some of the times it works and sometimes it does not work. But I think that's kind of key because uh, I agree with you, Tommy, that it's not necessarily a scary place to play. It's a very vibrant place to play. There's a lot of energy in it, but it's not like kind of a, a hate that you sense. And that may sound weird, but that, that, that is kinda, that's kind of how it sets up. And as long as you withstand that initial push, uh, you, can, you can play there. And North Carolina has done that fantastically in the last you know, 10, 12 years, really since Roy's been there. And I think that's going to be key Saturday night because the last thing you want to do is, is really get in a hole. Then you're really having to make sure, okay, well, now it's not a matter of I hope we play well. We have to play well. We have to do every single thing right to have a chance to win this game. You don't want to be in that position. Uh, so if you can get to get to halftime you know, with a small lead or maybe trailing by just a few points, then you're, you're good to go and you can make this competitive down the stretch. Um, but, but I really do believe that if you, if you kind of look back at that first Duke game, um, if things hadn't played out the way they did and North Carolina had won that game by two points, we'd be talking about, wow, that was a masterful performance. That was the best game they've played all year. Uh, that, that's a good indication of what this team can be. That's how good they were that night until things just really fell apart. With I saw something interesting, Greg. Someone saying how UNC looks like they play better in a small lineup. I mean, Roy mentioned after the game last night how putting the five best guys on the floor, Christian Keeling, Leakey, Brandon Robinson, Cole, and Garrison, and he's always trying throughout the season to put the five best guys on the floor. Obviously, Armando, if he was healthy, would have played a lot last night. But if he can't go Saturday, you think that hurts UNC more or can allow them, can help them in a way? Well, I think think due to the injury situation – you want Armando available, clearly. Right. Um, but in terms of if we're talking about him all of a sudden going back into the starting lineup, uh, there's some legitimacy there. I think the the issue for North Carolina is that with Colby and such a ball-dominant guard who does a very good job penetrating, um, that tends to open things up. When you talk about you know, Christian Keeling now is finding his shot. And Leaky Black, while he's not a great shooter, He's, he's no longer scared to take that outside shot. And so if your foreman is able to move out on the perimeter and you've actually got legitimate options out there that can take shots because B-Rob is 
is a very good shooter. Uh, Cole, when he gets hot, can be very good. And Christians, uh, he loves that, you know, the, the foot on the line. He loves that shot for whatever reason. Uh, but he's but he's good at it. He likes that almost as much as Leaky likes his 18-footer. Um, but, you know, that's, <laughs> that's kind of how the season's played out. I don't think there's any question that when they go small, that works. The question is, is it because it's a changeup? Is it because teams maybe aren't prepared for it? Um, if you go with that the entire game, can teams adjust and take advantage of you? Uh, I don't know that we've seen enough to really be able to answer that. And I think when you when you talk about somebody like a Vernon Carey, the, the issue becomes, while well, he did get in foul trouble last time, uh, you, Garrison Brooks has got to do a, a good job defensively. I mean, Baycott fouled out last game. Uh, Brooks had three fouls. So you've got to be you've got to be very careful with with your defense, and if you can do that, then you can get away with playing Brooks more at the five offensively, which opens up the the court. Um, but once you bring in foul trouble into the discussion, if Baycott's not available, which I suspect he'll be able to play, uh, but if he's not available, then all of a sudden you've got to be very careful with how you how you defend and a lot of the different things that you, you can do. Yeah, watching games, and we talked about that high school game, you can get a bucket back. You can't get fouls back. And a lot of people got on Cole for his defense um, against Trey Jones or his defense all year. Um, you can get buckets back. You can't get fouls back. Garrison Brooks has got to be on the floor for North Carolina. It's funny. We've talked about it. Um, but and before we get out of here, I want to mention that if you look at North Carolina season stats, Greg, They've scored 2,176 points on the season. Opponents are scoring, have scored 2,177. Field goal percentage for Carolina, 42.2. Opponents, 42.3. This season really has, Greg, just been on a uh, razor's edge for this North Carolina team. And they're where they are. Um, but it's such a fine line between winning and losing, and it'll be that way in Cameron. But have you? Do you recall a season for North Carolina or for any seat team that you've paid attention to having such a fine line um, all year long as this team has? The football team this year. Yeah, really. <laughs> yeah, like a couple months ago. Yeah, but, it's, uh, it's eerily it's similar. It really is, and even like the the 2010 team that had a lot of injuries. I mean, this Carolina team right now has had 95 games lost injury, so it's going to be over 100 by the time this season's done, which is just absurd. I mean, that's twice as many as that 2010 team had. But even that season, uh, they didn't have the heartbreakers that this team's had, and that's what that's what you hate because the way they're playing right now, if you had just won a couple of those games, and now you're at 500. Now you're further up in the ACC standings where you're going to get at least one buy, maybe two buys. Uh, you're really on the NCAA tournament bubble. But because of things playing out the way they have, I mean, this, this team clearly is going to have to win the ACC tournament to have a chance at the NCAA tournament. Yep. ACC is not very good this year. Carolina picked a bad year to have so many close losses. Uh, still got time to Make it somewhat right, Carolina and Duke, on Saturday in Cameron Indoor Stadium. The next on the beat will be after the regular season is over and before the ACC tournament. Greg, Gregory, and Ross, it's always been fun to talk all season long. Look forward to the next time. Thanks, boys. Thanks, Thanks Tom. Tommy. See ya.
Thanks for listening to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com. Brought to you by JohnnyTShirt.com. Where to go for your next Tar Heel gear purchase. It was a very bright, shining light, Sarajevo, and they needed to kill that light. From producers Matt Damon and Ben Affleck, explore how art and music sustained hope during the siege of Sarajevo, thanks in part to humanitarians and the band U2. U2, they represent a personification of our resistance. The Hollywood Reporter hails Kiss the Future, moving and inspirational. Kiss the Future! Viva Sarajevo! Kiss the Future, new documentary now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Go to Paramount Plus to try it free. Terms apply.